to this. Today we kick off a brand new message series titled Know Him by Name. And the mountain that you're going to see there in the illustration of what we're, we're going to talk about in this series, and we're going to look about in, into this about the next month and a half to two months. Um, this is Mount Sinai, also known as Mount Horeb. It's where God met Moses, and Moses received the Ten Commandments. And so what we're going to be talking about is getting to know God in a deeper, more intimate way. Our central passage for this series, and we'll read this passage every every with every sermon every week um, it's found in jeremiah chapter 9 verses 23 and 24 and it says this this is what the lord says let no wise man boast of his wisdom nor let the mighty man boast of his might nor a rich man boast of his riches but let the one who boasts boast of this that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who exercises mercy, justice, and righteousness on the earth. And then it says this, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. This is what he declares. This is what he loves. This is what he enjoys. And so I want you to understand these things. There are some things that we can boast about. There are some things that we can talk about and celebrate. But what God desires for us to boast about would be the fact that we would know him. And this knowledge of him should change how we do life. This is what I want you to understand. The one who knows God is not by knowledge alone, but by the way they live their life. And so as we get into this whole series, what I want us to understand, it is very possible to have knowledge of God and yet not know him. It's very possible to say, yeah, I know of God. Like the way you know of a friend. Yeah, I know that person or I, I know that acquaintance. I know them, but you don't know them. And then with that, there's even steps and levels of knowing God even deeper. Really, really, really knowing him. And what we're going to talk about in this series, the truth is, if you're humble, you're going to be able to receive all of this. But if you know yourself to really be kind of a, a prideful person, some of this is really, really going to challenge you. It's going to challenge your idea of what you know about God. It's going to challenge the closeness of your relationship with the Lord. Because what God desires is that we would never stop pursuing a deeper relationship with him. Get to know him further. Get to know him deeper. And some of you, you've been walking with the Lord a long time. Wonderful. But God is going to challenge the idea of us pursuing that further. And it's going to be a beautiful thing. It's going to be a beautiful thing. What God is going to do, I'm excited for. Um, it, it, it's going to be a wonderful thing. With that being said, let's take a moment to pray and we'll jump into part one. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and all that you're desiring to do. I pray that as we jump into this series, know you by name, know him by name, I pray, Father, that you would just unlock the biblical truths in your word. I pray that as your word is alive, you would help us to understand it, and we know that understanding comes from you. So Holy Spirit, just work in our hearts, our minds, give us understanding, speak to us in such a way. May your word bring conviction, challenge, but also encouragement and clarity and strength. Thank you for all that you desire to accomplish, and we trust you and we believe you so. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Amen. 
Amen, amen. Well, with that being said, let me begin this way. Maybe you have a child, or you have a grandchild, or you've been a child, or you know a child. I think that pretty much covers everybody, right? But as a child, you really don't know too much about limits. You don't, right? There's a lot of testing the boundaries. There's a lot of figuring out what I can do or what I can get away with. And when it comes to limits, sometimes that can be a good thing, sometimes that can be a bad thing. But one of the things that we teach our kids is we teach our kids not to touch the hot stove, right? We teach our kids not to put your finger into that electrical outlet, right? That's why we put the bumper foam around the corner edges. That's why we have play pens. That's why they use plastic plates and utensils. Because kids will somehow find a way to climb the side of that TV and jump off. How? Your two-year-old will find a way to climb into the top shelf of the refrigerator. How? Do they possibly get themselves in there? How? Right? So we teach kids what is safe. And we teach them what can be harmful. And as they grow older, they begin to learn from themselves. They begin to learn what they're capable of. They begin to learn their limits. They they begin to learn what they can push. And there's some areas it's good for them to push. It's good for them to challenge. It's good for them to see what they're capable of. And they begin to learn, this is what I can do. This is what I can't do. And along that way, you become to understand yourself and humanity that these are the things that are possible, but there must be a, a, a power greater than me. There must be a power greater. And for us, and the truth is, there is a power greater, and that is our Heavenly Father. He is our God, and He is the power that is greater He is. You know, some people want to say, well, you know, AI is a great power, but that's that's a puny little piece of dust compared to God. Not even close. Throughout Scripture, we see God introduce himself in different ways. And in each way that he introduces himself, he reveals more of himself to humanity, to us, and it is with this knowledge that we're able to grow in a relationship with him and we're able to respond to that knowledge by the way that we live our lives and in the book of genesis chapter 17 we see that god reveals more of himself and he appears to abram and he and abram who's going to be called abraham and it's not the first time that god appears to abraham it's the second time in fact and the first time that god appears to abraham he says I want you to get up, and I want you to move, and I want you to go to a different country. I want you to go to a different land. I want you to be into a completely different place. And guess what Abraham does? He gets up, he makes the journey, and he moves. And because of that, it is declared that Abraham is righteous because he trusted God. What we're about to see now is the second time that God speaks and reveals himself to Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 17 and verses 1 through 2, he says this. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you, and you will greatly increase in your numbers. Now, I want you to see this. 
God introduces himself as I am God Almighty. And then he tells them this. And I want you to see the promise. This is so big that we understand this for your life. Because there is always your part and God's part. Always your part and God's part. A lot of times we just want God to do it. Well, God is, you know, if I just rub the lamp, he'll do it. Or if I put the coin in the slot machine, he'll do it. Like God, like I just want God to do it. And God, it doesn't operate that way. God always wants you invested. God always wants to see your faith displayed. God always wants you to trust him and he'll come and move the mountains in your life. And he tells them, he says, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. That's your job. That's your responsibility. Walk before me in the right way. You stay there, and then he says, this is what I'll do. Then I'll make my covenant between me and you, and you will greatly increase your numbers. Now, this was significant in this time, and I want you to understand this, because the truth is Abraham and Sarah couldn't have kids. They weren't able. They, they weren't able to childbear. And at a time when God told Adam and Eve, hey, fill and multiply the earth, everybody was having babies, everybody and they weren't able to have babies. It was kind of like one of those things where, you know what, the, the, the family next to you, oh, man, you're having a child. Ah, oh, hey, congratulations on your child. That's, that's wonderful. Oh, you're having another child. Ah, oh, wonderful. Man, that's a, and, and deep down inside, they're struggling. Being happy for others, knowing that they could not conceive a child. And when you get to that place, you begin to think and to do things and try to find ways to bless yourself. And when you try and bless yourself, you get yourself in trouble. Because you're not trusting and waiting on the Lord and waiting on his time and allowing his power to work in your life. And so right here, when God introduces himself, he introduces himself as I am God Almighty. You see, God's name is an indication of what God can do anywhere, especially in relation to humanity. So he says, I am. You see, I am is a reference to his self-existence. Nobody created God. God doesn't rely on anybody's power to sustain himself. He says, I am. It's a reference to his self-existence. When God reveals himself to Moses on that mountain, before he's going to go out and rescue the people from Egypt and do all of that, and Moses is like, well, well, who do I tell them is sending me? What's going on here? God tells him, listen, tell them that I am sending you. Again, a reference to God's self-existent. He is all by himself, capable of handling all by himself. And here in this passage, he reveals himself as God Almighty. I am God Almighty. In the English, we see God Almighty. In the Hebrew, it's El Shaddai. El Shaddai. So he's telling Abram, I get it that you're 99 years old, brother. I get it that you haven't been able to have any children. I get it that everyone around you has been having kids and you haven't. I get it that you felt some type of social awkwardness. I get it that you've been dealing with some emotions. I get it that spiritually, I get it there's been some struggle in your life. But I am El Shaddai, 
This is what he's telling them. I am all powerful. And brothers and sisters, as we get into this series, as we get into this part one today, I want you to understand that there are some things, some thoughts, some negative thoughts that will try to fly around your head and make you want to give up. But as we get into this right now, I want you to understand that he is El Shaddai. And El Shaddai is all-powerful. There is nothing impossible for El Shaddai. So when God introduces himself as El Shaddai, he is saying, listen, brother, I, I got all the power. He's declaring that there is nothing impossible for him. There's nothing that he cannot do. And so what I want us to understand is this. It doesn't matter if it seems impossible for humanity. God does not know that limits. God does not know that limit. God isn't bound by that limit. And I get it. You're thinking, well, how about that person? Will they ever come to know the Lord? Or how about my child? Or how about my dreams? How about my future? My hope? How about the things I'm wondering? Who will I marry? All, all these things. Well, how, how is it seems like it's impossible? And God's saying, listen, I'm El Shaddai. What's this mess you're over here crying? What is this thing that you're, what is this thing that you're allowing to, 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 to beat you up? What is it that's happening? I'm El Shaddai, he says. I'm El Shaddai. I'm all powerful. He's self-existent. Again, Abraham at this moment, he's 99 years old. His wife is 90. Again, this is not the first time they've heard from God. They followed his voice and they obeyed him. But for them at this time, you know, the whole idea of childbearing that had just kind of long left their minds. Like, okay, okay, God, that's not what you had for me. Fine. Okay, I trust it. I'm just going to accept what I got. I see everybody having babies, but that's not me. Okay. And they were just at that place of just accepting it. And then God comes up and he says this in verse 2. Let's read it again in verse 2. He says, then I will make my covenant between me and you, and you will greatly increase your numbers. See, God is telling Abraham, by human standards, there's no way. If you're going to put this by the measuring stick of human standards, it's just not going to work out. But what God is trying to tell him is stop thinking by human standards. Stop limiting what is possible in your life by human standards. Stop that. Stop that thinking. He says, I am El Shaddai. I got this. Nothing is impossible for me. Stop thinking that way and trust who I am. Our God is God. And he reveals himself as, I am God Almighty. So what can he not do? What can he not do? Or maybe the real question is, how should this change the way I live my life? And like I told you when I opened up, and we're going to look at over the course of this series, is our knowledge of him should affect the way we live our life. Listen, there's everything that the Bible says and everything that the Bible talks about how to live our life. Everything, all of that. Yes, absolutely. But as we simply look at who he is, with the knowledge of who he is, how does that change the way I handle my everyday? 
How does that change the way I look at others, the way I make decisions, the way I see myself when I look in the mirror? How does that change when I dream, when I desire, when I, when I plan? How does that change? What I want you to know is this. Because he is El Shaddai, I now walk in daily reverence to who God is. Because he is El Shaddai, my reverence is, is before him. Because, hey, I know who's all-powerful. I know who's got the big guns. I know who's got all the power. I know who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I know who's the great physician. I know who can make a way out of no way. I know who can move mountains. I know who there's nothing is impossible. I know him. And that type of knowledge should change the way I live my life. That type of knowledge changed the way Abraham lived his life. In fact, the Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 11 and verses 8 through 10. It says this, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance. The first time God spoke to him, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. It's not like he had been to place. It's, it's, it's not like he had, he had got onto Google and he said, well, let me, let me look up this place that God's saying. I'm just, I wonder if they got anything on Yelp or they got, any, they got any pictures. I wonder what kind of view they got or what kind of food they got, what kind of language. No, he didn't have none of that. God said go. He didn't have a GPS. Was, oh, it's going to take me that much time. God, if I take this route or that. He didn't have that. God just said go and the brother went. He trusted the Lord. Right? That, that's so, look, okay, let's, let's continue. This is by, verse 9. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Abraham lived as if God had all the power. That's how he lived. He lived saying, with the understanding, my God is God and he is El Shaddai. Yes. And he trusted God. He got up and he moved to a foreign land. That was the first time God spoke to him. We see it here in Genesis 15, 6. This is what the Bible says based on what Abraham did. It says this, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. You see, this is the kind of thing that we should all desire that it would be said about us. Would it be said about you that you trusted the Lord and because you trusted the Lord, it is credited to you as righteous, as righteousness? Would it be said about us? Would it be said about us that we trusted the Lord, that we believed him? You know, but the kind of respects that we're talking about here is not like the respects that you respect your boss or your favorite athletes or your professor or any of those type of things, right? I, I enjoy sports. Uh, you know, I, I get into it a little bit, you know. But I only bow down before the Lord. I don't hold anyone or any sport or any team in such a place that they would take the position of God. I only bow down before the Lord. 
It is him who I fear. It is him who I have reverence for. I don't make allow anyone else is going to take some type of place or position or athlete or professor or boss or give them and think that that boss is the one is allowing my family to have provision. No, God is the one that blesses. God is the one that opens doors. God is the one that makes a way. God is the one who does it. God. It is God. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, which is, which is really my life verse in, in, in college, in seminary, when I, I first came across Proverbs 1, 7, it was something that stayed with me, and I memorized it, and it's become my life first. I make every decision in my life based on Proverbs 1, 7. It says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Right? It's this reverence for God. And it's not at the same level of respect the way that I respect, you know, a, a, a boss or a teacher or a professor or some athletes, right? I have respect. There are people that I have respect for. I'm not saying to have respect for somebody is wrong. What I'm saying is there is, needs to be a significant difference in your reverence for God versus your respect for someone. Because in your reverence for God, your blessings will flow. Because it will affect how you live your life. So, because I know him, I'm going to stop doing that thing. You know what? It's not that big of a deal. Because of who he is, why am I, I'm just going to, it's not really that important. It doesn't mean that, I mean, what really, if you're who you say you are, then what is this even about? What am I carrying around? Like, if you are who you say you are, if I believe that you are who you say you are, it should change the way I live my life. I should think differently. I should desire to. In Psalms 25 verse 14, it says this, The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. That intimacy relationship is for those who reverence him. Not those who just know of God. Not those who just respect that there is a God. But those who actually reverence him. Who are willing to bow down before him. For those who do that, there's a relationship. There's, some, there's an access to the almighty, to the all-powerful, for those who can bow before him. Like I said, if you're humble, this is, you're just, it's gonna, it's gonna come in. And if you're prideful, you're gonna struggle with this whole thing. And I tell you, if you humble yourself, if you have this respect for him, there's an intimate relationship where there's levels on levels where you will draw closer and closer and closer to the Lord God Almighty. And as you do that, the way you live your life will change. Your desires will change. Your wants will change. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 19, verse 23, it says this, The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. You ever come across anyone who just seems like they're not content in life, just not satisfied? Like everything is good and everything is okay. And you can see God's blessing on all sides of your life. But they're just not content. Just not. 
And it's always, I want this new thing, and I want that new thing, and I want this, and I want that. And it's just like you're just not content. You're just not satisfied in the goodness of God in your life. In Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, it says this, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil are perverted speech I hate. Right? The fear of the Lord is because I, I now know who he is, and I have reverence for him. He's El Shaddai. So now there are some things that I hate, and I hate evil. I, I hate every perverted justice. I hate every per. It's just, I just don't. I used to think that was kind of cool. But now I recognize it for what it is, and I hate it. I don't want it for me, and I don't want it for anybody else. I don't want it for my enemy. I want my enemy to come to know the Lord. I want them to know that he is El Shaddai. And so I begin to think differently because of my reverence for him. In Psalms 111 and verse 10, it says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. His praise endures forever. In, in Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 27, it says this, The fear of the Lord is a found, fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. And it's amazing that when you reverence God, I mean, he can pull you out of the, any pit that you could imagine. From one circumstance, and it's how, it's so bad. How did my life get like this? How am I ever dealing with this? How did I get here? And I just don't even know how to get out of this. How could I ever get a reverence for God? The fear of the Lord will pull you out of that pit and put your feet on solid ground and give you hope and a future and give you life everlasting. See, all of this means our decisions, the company we keep, how we treat others, the time that we give to God, what we allow in our life. This is what I want you to understand. Every part of our lives should be measured by our reverence for God. The problem is a lot of times we measure things by human standards. We'll say, uh, I don't know, that don't match up. But every part of our lives should be measured by our reverence. I'm checking and I'm evaluating, God, am I really giving you your place? And giving you your place isn't something that I just talk about. It's something that I live out that affects the way I do life, affects the way that I see others. And I get it, brothers and sisters. Sometimes we face mountains, and mountains feel so big, and it feels like, oh, my goodness, how am I ever going to overcome this situation? How am I ever going to get out of this? And sometimes the mountain is so intimidating that it affects the way you think. And you start having such bad thoughts about yourself, about others, about the situation around you. And it just like it just festers and it's just bad, just bad thoughts. And the mountain's so big, it tells you that you're no good and intimidates you. You don't know how you'll get past this. You don't know if it'll ever get better. 
But every part of your life should be measured by our reverence for God because he is El Shaddai. You know, many of you know that recently my son broke his elbow. Tough, tough moment, very ugly break. That's why he's sitting over there or laying over there. But it was a very, very, very tough time. And I was with him from the time that I picked him up from school where it happened through the hours of waiting to get the surgery and just one, all of that time, then going through the surgery and bringing him home. I was there with him the whole time. And we had several conversations where I just, his human mind was wanting to break down. His human mind was wanting to give up. Daddy, is this ever good? It's just, you know, seeing his arm twisted and broken and not connected and going through all of that. Sorry to be too graphic. But as he's dealing with all of this, wondering, you know what, I'm never going to be able to do this again. I'm never going to be able to do that. Is this ever going to get better? Is anyone ever going to come and help us as we're waiting just hours, just waiting for somebody to come and help us? His mind wanted to break down, and I I would not let his mind break down. And And I never told him. I didn't say, son you know what, don't worry, the doctors got this, they are out, they are all powerful. I never once told him that. But what I did tell him is, son, God is going to see you through. God is going to see you through. And he would break down again, and then I would remind him, son, God's got us. It's going to be okay. And, and it would see like 30 minutes later, something, Dad, I just don't know. This is so hard. It hurts so much. Is anyone going to help us? Son, God is going to see you through. And we have these conversations over and over and over again. I would remind him everything is going to be okay. God is with us. He's going to be with you in the surgery. For him and for us in that moment, it was a huge mountain. It was a huge mountain. But, you know, during that season, during this last season, one of the most beautiful things that came out of it was, you know, I had asked my son, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? You know, his first answer was, if you've been or any time around him, he talks about this, you know. He says, I, I, I want to be in the NBA, you know. That's, that's what he thinks about. He says, I, Daddy, I want to be in the NBA. I said, okay, son, all right, all right. He says, well, and, and, and number two, he says, um, you know, when I grow up, I, I want to be a daddy. And, and that just, I couldn't control my emotions. I had to walk around the corner, you know. Because it's the time you invest. It's the time you spend, right? It's, it's those moments that you look and you see, right? Just, just the way that a, ch- a child might see their superhero. They want to be that. Or they might see their favorite athlete and they want to be that. But it's, it's what they see good in. It's what they see they desire. And they say that they want to be that, But that only comes from spending time. What I'm saying is this, is that when you get to spend time with your father and he's El Shaddai, you begin to learn that there's nothing that you cannot overcome in this life. There's nothing that he cannot do because he is El Shaddai. He is all-powerful. He can see you through any situation, and I get it. You felt like it's dark, and it's the, 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 the circus is running in your head, and you're struggling in so many ways, and you're wondering if it'll ever get better. Well, guess what? Your father, your daddy is El Shaddai. He is all-powerful, and there is nothing impossible for him, but it has to change. That knowledge has to change the way you live your life. 
You cannot be living like he's not El Shaddai, or maybe you have knowledge of it, but it hasn't changed the way you live your life, and expecting him to move in your life. You have to live like who he is. You have to believe like who he is. you got to be all in. You can't be halfway in and say, God, I want you to move mountains. But you're really not living like he's got all the power. Like he don't have the cattle on a thousand heels. Like he can't work out the financial situation. Like he, he's not the great physician. He can't work out the health situation. you got to believe. you got to walk it out. you got to rest. He is El Shaddai. He is the Lord God Almighty, and he can do it in your life. He can do it in your life, and you must live that way. Our dad, our daddy is El Shaddai. We now face mountains not because we have power, but we face mountains because God has power. So brothers and sisters, I ask you this morning, what's your mountain? What, what's, what is it? What is, what is it that's been staring you down? What's been intimidating you? What's been making you feel some type of way? What is it that's been racing through your mind? What is it that you've just can't seem to let go? What is that mountain? What is it that seems impossible for you right now? What is that? I mean, maybe it's a dream. Maybe it's a goal. Maybe it's a child's behavior. Maybe it's, maybe it's finances, a health, or relationships. Maybe it's, it's some of those things. What is that mountain? My challenge for us? Turn to your mountain and tell it that you serve El Shaddai. Begin to speak boldly. Begin to declare. You know what? This situation is really rough, but guess what? I serve El Shaddai, and he can do this. My God is the Lord God Almighty, and there's nothing that he cannot do. You know, on one occasion, Jesus is telling a parable and all the disciples are sitting around. They're all listening, and Jesus is speaking to a young man, and Jesus is talking to this young man in a story, a parable. And uh, it's, it's regarding salvation. And so um, after Jesus is finished with the story, the disciples come up to him, and they're like, well, Jesus, I just heard everything you said. How could it possibly be possible for anyone to be saved if those are all the requirements like, how can it be possible? And then Jesus says, Jesus says these words in Matthew 19, 26. And Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. You know, there's so much to the context of this and everything that Jesus is going to do on the cross and, and the access that we're going to have to God and the salvation we're able to receive through that. But I want us to understand this and let it be a clear general principle in Scripture and in your knowledge of God that the truth is, by human standards, we are limited. What can you do? If you look at your child and you desire them to be better, or you look at your spouse and you wanted them to get it together, or, or, or you look at your health and you just want it to be better, your finances, you just want it to be whatever the situation is, you can wish and desire all you want, but by your own power, you're limited. But there's someone who has all the power. 
So when you begin to look at it from that perspective, where should your hope and your trust be in? He tells us in his word, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. See, it's him working. It's him in there. It's him that can do the thing. It's him that can fix it. It's him that can make a way. It's him that can do the impossible. Nothing is impossible for him. Nothing. And with this knowledge, it needs to affect the way you live your life. You see, you cannot operate the same way and say you know God. You, 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 you cannot. If you know him, if you know this about him, if God has the power to do anything in your life, then you know that there's nothing impossible for him. Here's what I want to point out here in all of us today. If God has ever done anything in your life, then you are a walking, breathing, speaking miracle, aren't you? Because it was already impossible for you to even be in the position that you're in right now. How would I ever, what and how? But God. So what I'm saying is, again, you are the living, breathing, speaking miracle. And if God was able to do the impossible in you, Who's to say that God is stopped doing the impossible? Maybe he retired. No. He's still doing it. He still can do it. But we got to live like he can. We have to react like he can. We got to trust like he can. We got to step into it like he can. Because you are that walking miracle. Tell the truth. You are a walking miracle. You are the sign that God is almighty. Now we've got to live like it. Listen, I want you to see Abraham's choice of reaction when God introduces himself as El Shaddai. Remember, this is the second time that God has revealed himself. But in verses in Genesis 17, verses 1 through 2, he says, listen, I am El Shaddai. You walk blameless before me. This is the promise I have for you. Right here's your part, God's part. Your part, God's part. It's always that way. There's always your part and God's part. Never look at it. Well, God's almighty. He can just do it all. He always wants you invested. Always. So there's always your part and there's always God's part. Always. But in verse 3, I want you to see how God responds. The Bible says that when God introduced himself as El Shaddai and God gave Abram instructions and God said, I promise you this, Abraham fell face down. You see, when you're face down, there's a whole lot that you communicate. God, I trust you. God, this has been really difficult. You know the social awkward shame and things we have felt. God, you know how hard it's been on my emotions. God, you know behind that tent and the crying and the emotions. God, you, you know how I felt about all of this thing, wondering if there's any help. You know how I felt about my health and my finances and the relationship. God, you know. Abram does not bow his neck. He falls face down. It is a huge mistake. 
to bow halfway to God, to give him half of your loyalty, to give him a portion of your love. It is a huge mistake. Abram falls all the way down and communicates, God, I recognize that you are who you say you are. And if you are that, then it causes me to lay all the way down. Now, there is something absolutely to body posture. Absolutely. But more, what I want you to understand, it's your heart and your mind before the Lord. Are you willing to bow all the way down before the Lord? Are you willing to have that type of reference, reverence in the way that you live your life, in the way that you make decisions, in the way that you, you, you say, you know what, I'm letting this thing go. My God is God, and if he's God, then you know what, I'm letting it go. I'm giving that thing up. I'm going to change the way I think. I'm going to change the way that I see others because he is who he says that he is. So that affects me. That works in me. And every person has to come to that place at one time or another. The Bible says that every knee will bow. You can wait or you can live in the blessing now. There's always your part and God's part. There's always your part and God's part. Who is who in the relationship? In your relationship with God, who is who? I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that God loves you and he wants you much closer to him than you have been. And some of it, I get it. You, you got a relationship with the Lord. You love the Lord. That's wonderful. But don't let pride get in the way and say that you know him enough or that you're close to him enough. Continue to seek him. Continue to pursue him. Continue to draw close to him. Continue. See, the more you study God's word, the more you learn about God, the more is this, it's, it's so inviting to trust in his power and his might. Here's my challenge for us. I'm going to close. We're going to pray, and I'm going to call um, Brenda up. She's going to sing a couple of songs here. But here's the challenge for you. Beginning Beginning today, that's what I meant, beginning today and each day this week, start your day by declaring, I serve El Shaddai and there's nothing impossible for him. So today, I just want you to begin to say that out. Would you say that with me together? Can we say that down the count of three? One, two, three. I serve El Shaddai and there is nothing impossible for him. I want you to say that over and over as you wake up each day. Tomorrow morning, you're back at it. Sunday, you had a good weekend, but Monday, you're back at it. You're at work, you're at school, you're at whatever your responsibilities, your family, whatever it is that you got to do as you get started in your day. I serve El Shaddai, and there is nothing impossible for him. If you got to say it throughout your whole day, say it throughout your day, speak it out loud, declare it. The second part is this. The next time a mountain surfaces, speak to your mountain. My God is El Shaddai. It's activating your faith. It's elevating your faith. This is what God wants to do in us. Stay humble and allow God to work. Allow him to shape and to mold and to stretch and to challenge and reveal the beauty of who he is. He is good. Amen. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word.
It's beautiful, Father, because we come to understand through your word that your word will always accomplish all that you desire it to. So we know that you're at work. We know that, Holy Spirit, you are touching lives and you are confirming and you are dropping nuggets and you are encouraging and you are convicting and you are challenging. You're making the hearts tender. All of these things. I pray, Father, that we begin to live in such a way that we recognize who you are. And as we see that, Father, it changes how we make decisions. And I pray, Father, that for some of us, we'd come to the place where we'd finally be ready to surrender to you. Some of us, God, we've, we've bowed down, but we haven't bowed down all the way. And we, and we really just, we need to trust God all the way. We've been trusting him like at, at 25%. Others at 50%. Some of us at 75 where we haven't really bowed down all the way. Others of us, Father, have never, have never done it. We've just been holding on to, no, I ain't doing that. But today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you are coming to meet your children, your sons and daughters. And you're meeting them with arms open wide, with love. Father, because we understand and we believe that you sent your son Jesus for us. That every one of us individually would come to a place where we say, you know what? I recognize who you are. And today I confess you as my Lord and Savior. So with nobody looking around, maybe there is somebody like that today that says, hey, the truth is, I've struggled with the whole idea of serving God or, or all of that, and I've never made a decision. But today, they're just today, I just, I, I want to I make a decision. I just, I'm, I'm, I want to be. I don't got it figured out. I don't know how it's going to look. But if God can forgive me for all the stuff I've done, and he can wipe my slate clean, then I want to be forgiven. And I recognize him for who he is. I recognize that he is the Lord. And I want to begin to enter into a relationship with him. And I want to know more. I want, I want him. And I feel something right now. And I know that the Holy Spirit is working. And if that is you right now and you say, you know what? I want to choose to follow God for myself. If that's you, would you quickly just put your hand up and then down. Thank you. I see your hands. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. Anybody else? Anybody else? Three of us. Thank you. I see your hand. Four of us. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. Anybody else? The Lord loves you dearly and he's very proud of you. Very. I thank you. I see your hand. He's very, very proud of you. And his love is real today and his love is attainable today. And he wants to show you and reveal to you. He wants to heal you. He wants to show his power in your life. He wants to embrace you and hold you tight and let you know that there is nothing that can separate you from his love. He wants to satisfy you with his love. Father, today, see the hands that raised. Those that say, God, I want you in my life. Forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for the wrong things I've done. Forgive me for the messes I've made. Forgive me for the things I've participated in. Forgive me for the things that I've turned the other way and I allowed to happen. Forgive me, God. Forgive me for every word that I've said, everything that I've said about you. Every, all of it, God, wipe my slate clean. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being my substitute on the cross. Thank you for paying the price for my sins. And thank you, Father, for sending your Son 
And thank you, Jesus, for promising your Holy Spirit. And I pray in Jesus' name that your Holy Spirit, that you would fill everyone right now. Fill your sons and daughters. Especially those right now that have said that they, they confess you as Lord and Savior. Father, I pray that you would give them eternal life and you would do a wonderful thing. And I pray, Father, that there would be rejoicing in this house the way that there is rejoicing in heaven. We give you glory. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.